with me today is Vanessa McCamley. And Vanessa is passionate about the potential for neuroscience and what neuroscience offers in business. She speaks on a range of topics where neuroscience has been shown to be effective, bringing a balance of science, humor, and pragmatic suggestions. Vanessa, welcome. Thank you, Grant. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm interested in all this neuroscience stuff is there's a lot of talk these days about leadership. There's a lot of talk about emotional intelligence and resilience strategies, and we're all busier than ever. We all have a lot on in our business lives and our personal lives and trying to juggle all that as well as being strong leaders in our organizations. So what attracted you to neuroscience? And Tell us a little about what this, this subject of neuroscience is. So it started for me probably over 20 years ago where leading people through the corporate ladder. So for me, starting off as an individual contributor and then working my way into management and then obviously learning what it is to be a good leader versus being a manager. And through that journey of 20, 20 plus years and kept having these targets where companies kept coming up with these double-digit growth year on year and I was struggling. I was struggling from how do I keep climbing these targets year on year when I've just done the best work that I ever have and I gave the company my blood and my soul too. How did I continue to be able to keep doing that without being exhausted and what happened is I end up getting sick and it was a really key turning point for me personally and I could see other people around me, other leaders who were also getting sick and I thought we are fatigued, we're burnt out, we're living on a diet of immediacy, everyone wants everything now and people's brains were becoming frazzled and I thought there has to be another way that we can, we can reach these mountains at the top without killing ourselves in the process and without it's not just effect of the people we work with but also how our brain comes home and how we actually greet the people that we love or the people that we want to spend our time with outside of work. Because if your brain is empty by the time you get home or it's totally full, then you have nothing left to give to others. So I started with this book. I was looking at bringing out a program from South Africa and it, the program was actually around, had a neuroscience leadership flavor to it and I started to read more and more around neuroscience for business and I couldn't stop putting the book down. It was just amazing. I went, oh, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been searching for for answers of how do we actually get the neurobalance right? How do we reach these goals that CEOs are uh, picking out <laughs> for, for organizations and, and wanting to grow and want to be more efficient and more effective? And how do we do all of that plus have brain cells left at the end of a day or at the end of a week? And so reading this, I went, oh, wow, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Then I had a mentor who was actually in this space and her name's Kristen Hansen and she's amazing and she inspired me to go back and study and so I went back and studied neuroscience for business from a leadership, performance and productivity perspective and that's how it all started for me. Fascinating. So there's lots of moving parts. What I'm hearing is there's lots of parts of neuroscience of leadership. So there's, you know, emotional intelligence you touched on. Yes. There is, you know, leadership versus managing 
there's emotional resilience. Um, emotional resilience is something that's coming up a lot these days, and I hear a lot of people talking about it. And again, I, I guess it comes back to how busy we are and how frazzled and stressed everyone is and how they're bringing that home and so forth. Tell me more about emotional resilience. What is it? What does it mean? Well, if you look at emotional intelligence, and I'd just like to give, I guess, the definition of what emotional intelligence, because a lot of people think they know what that actually means. And it's really your skill at being aware of your emotions and those of others, along with managing your emotions and your relationships. And it is a skill that you can learn. So a lot of people often ask me, is this something we are born with? The answer is not necessarily. We, we come in all different shapes and forms. No two brains in the entire world are the same. And that's due to our spatial pattern code. It's sort of like if you think about your handprint, so we have similar lines if we looked at yours and mine together, but we also have different, which means that every human being takes in information slightly different or gives it different meaning. So the way we see the world is slightly different from one another, but we tend to treat people the same way as the way we see the world and, and to our own values, which makes things very interesting when it comes to communication. So emotional intelligence is our ability to understand our own emotions, what triggers those emotions, what puts us into a threat or reward state, because that's the brain's organizing principle. And then it looks at how can we read other people and be able to understand where they're at and how to help them to be able to achieve their goals and objectives as well. And we've seen this, I think, recently with um, you know world leaders or um, you know leaders that that we admire. For example, Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister, and how calm she's been under pressure recently. Um, and and I'm really curious about that emotional intelligence that comes through. And you mentioned you know it's not necessarily born; it is something that that you know, people develop over time. So how do they develop that? How do they develop those skills and build that emotional intelligence if it's not something that we're naturally, you know, necessarily born with? Well, so let me go back to the beginning because I think we have to go to the beginning to get to, I guess, to sure. answer that question. So if you think about when we are born, our brain is a complete sponge, right? So when we're born, we have no set pathways set right? Depending on how your parents brought you up, what culture, what country, what values that your parents had, what that environment was like, what put you in a threat state, what put you in a reward state. And then if you look at even from an education perspective, how were you educated? Um, what, what drove you to either strive or put effort into anything, whether it was sport, academica, whatever your interest or passion was, what actually initiated that drive and excitement? The brain, regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted, it's a social organ. What that actually means is that everyone, regardless of being introverted or extroverted, wants to feel like they're a part of something or, or belong. And we're constantly looking for our tribe of people, people who are similar to us, where we can feel like that we have a psychological safety, where we belong and we can be our best selves. And also our worst selves too because that's an exploration in its own right. 
So going back to your original question about leadership and about how does emotional intelligence, so each brain, depending on the journey that you've had that wires what puts you in a threat state or what puts you in a reward state and what drives you. So understanding what behaviours drive you, what gets you up to achieve anything um, when you wake up in the morning is really, really crucial. So for example, around social and emotional intelligence is really about understanding people and how to get how to bring out the best of them. So for example, the New Zealand Prime Minister that you're talking about is doing an amazing job because she leads with people in mind because that is her number one priority in every part of her awe. So that comes through in her her ability to be believable and authentic. And so for leaders who have that key driver being from people, they're wanting people to be the best they possibly can along with being innovative and think outside the square along with having evaluating and the ability to not just come up with with ideas but evaluate what options are there, what are the best pathways to be able to take our people on so that we can get the best out of our people. Yeah, fascinating. So are you saying that emotional resilience or that ability to cope with um, with trauma or, or even stresses uh, comes as a subset of that emotional intelligence. So the resilience comes from a better understanding of yourself and other people and therefore you know, you, you're more likely to cope with stress or cope with traumatic events. So if you look at some of the top managing directors, CEOs or the top people in business, you will have a look. When I actually analyse their brains or look at their profiles, behavioural profiles, what's really interesting in that is that a lot of them have had a lot of hardship, right? A lot of hardship and they've had to overcome obstacles. Mm. And the key is in life, we all have obstacles. And I think there's been an illusion from when we were little that if only we achieve this, if only we get this, if only we win the lotto, (laughs) all our problems would be solved. But it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in the world or where you are in Australia is that we all have obstacles and and depending on what drives you and what makes you happy and what you see as success is that the people who get to these top roles in organisations, they have gone through a lot of hardship so they've had to build resilience to be able to stick on path. You think about today is if you have a vision to achieve something, um, it's about understanding ideas and strategies on how to get there but you also need agility and to be able to adapt and so through neuroscience we're learning more and more about neuroplasticity which is our brain's ability to change and adapt and create new pathways within the brain to be able to overcome obstacles along that journey. So this is almost fail to learn in some respects but as you fail you learn you do. And then you take and, those learnings into into other scenarios. Or and you think of even those who who have children, right? Yes, we love them, we want to protect them and we want them to be able to live happy lives. But they have to learn along the way. We can't actually solve all their problems for them. So often as a leader we need to be able to 
not just have the answer, but to get other people to have those aha moments, which is what we call from a neuroscience perspective insights, which is those sudden moments where the brain um, gets a hit, hit of dopamine to how you can solve a problem or overcome an obstacle. And that builds empathy as well. And it builds empathy. And as a leader, you're going to have a greater understanding of you know, how hardship can um, can benefit people in terms of learning and insights and uh, and that helps you to be a better leader. It has dual purpose, insights and having getting other people to have insights. So even though you might have the answer and even though leaders, because they're under pressure to deliver all the time, that they often just want to tell people the answer, but actually it doesn't actually help them in the long run, just like with our children, is that if we keep telling them the answer and they don't learn it for themselves, what are they going to do? They're going to keep coming back to you. And over time, as you grow and you have more and more people working for you, um, you won't be able to have the reach to be able to answer everybody's questions. So it's really building those skills within your team and so they can they can work it out for themselves yes. and, and create strategies. But what it also gives them from a neuro neuro perspective is that when you help someone else have those aha moments, those insights and work out solutions instead of giving them the answer, they get a, a dose of dopamine, which is the brain's happy natural drug. But you also, as coaching and leading them through, also gets a hit of dopamine because you're seeing them winning and coming up with great ideas. And some of their ideas could even be better than the answer that you have which means you're getting a high, they're getting a high, and all of a sudden you're empowering your people to take motivation and action. I'm really interested in the parallels between sports and business. Okay. And uh, I think some of the things you talk about will really resonate in terms of, you know, learning on the sports field and so forth. And um, I understand Steve Hansen, who is the the, uh, coach of the All Blacks rugby team, um, on the day, on match day, uh, he doesn't speak with the team. So he doesn't address the team. So his attitude is, look, my job's done at that point. There's nothing I'm going to teach them. I don't want to confuse them. Um, any um, team addresses are from the captain of the team. Uh, I'm not going to get involved on that day. So that's really interesting, isn't it? It's about you've empowered them to go and do the job, let them get on with the job. And another one in the sporting field that I really, really love as well is our fast, our fastest man on the planet. What's his name again? Bolt. I Usain know him as Bolt. Usain Bolt. Yeah. Usain Bolt is one of my favourites because people could never work out how he could be so relaxed on the sporting field of a big race and how he could be so jovial and excited. And, and I saw this amazing interview with him where – he was asked by a journalist to how can he be so relaxed on the day? He said, because I have a plan. And he goes, and I have a very good coach. And my coach and I work out a plan to what my goal is, how am I going to achieve it? And we break it down into very, very tactical, but we also have an adaptable approach because things happen like injury. So he said, it's not just a plan how to get to the destination, but it's also a plan on how to mitigate obstacles that can arise. And he said, before I fly anywhere to to run anywhere in the world, I check off that map and I have a really good conversation with my coach to make sure we have done everything possible 
including being adaptable and agile, that we have done everything possible and left nothing left in the tank for this race. And he said, as soon as he, we've gone through that and the coach has given me the thumbs up of approval, I don't have to think about it anymore because he said it's ingrained all the training, all the hours that I do, all that rehearsal, it's, it's ingrained in my brain. So all I need to do is now be relaxed and then it's not until I'm in the starting blocks that everything that I've learned comes back to me in that second, click of the fingers, and I'm so focused and all I can see is that finishing line. Some really powerful learnings there for business as well. It's all Absolutely. about preparation and, and having a clear picture of what success looks like. But not only just having a plan, I think what we've done wrong in planning in business is that we haven't had enough agility. We haven't we haven't spent enough time mitigating what are the obstacles that we're actually going to overcome. As I said to you before, I think a lot of people go, oh, this is my goal. This is what I want to get there. Where's the, the straight line from where I am to the top of the mountain? But as you know, if, you've, if anyone has climbed a mountain of any sort, um, it's not a straight line. You know, it's around that curve. But how do you pick the best route around that mountain? And how can you navigate some of the dangers that you could face as you're climbing up that mountain? Sure. I'd like to switch uh, switch paths a little bit. And I want to talk about Terry Irwin, mm. uh, a name that will be familiar with a lot of people in Australia or internationally, in fact. Um and we spoke about Terry earlier. I'm interested in what inspires you about Terry Irwin and why is this significant for you? Oh, I love Terry Irwin and I love the whole Irwin family and I think they're an Australian icon that has a global brand, which I think is amazing. But particularly I saw an interview of Terry Irwin and the, in this particular interview, she talks about the struggles and the obstacles and the heartache that she has experienced since losing Steve Owen and this ability to be able to continue on with their why, with their purpose, which was around animal conservation through Australia Zoo and obviously through all their channels that they do to educate people around the planet about animal conservation. And what I love about Terry is her authenticness to be able to know that she's not perfect and, and how, how she's had to adapt over the 10 plus years without having Steve by her side because they were sort of like yin and yang and they used to brainstorm with one another um, how they were going to do things, how they are going to accomplish their mission. And then she said all of a sudden she was on her own or felt alone and then she was responsible for growing Australia Zoo and then all these other projects that they have on, plus be dual parents to their beautiful two children. And she said it was daunting at times and then she realised that, that she had to adapt and that she couldn't constantly be putting too much pressure on herself to be perfect at everything. And so it was coming down to breaking down what's their goal of animal conservation and what could they do each day to make a difference to contribute to that and that's what got her out of bed and that's what rallied when they were having obstacles that they dealt with the obstacles and they really dealt with the fact you know that they felt sad at that particular time 
but then looked at oh, how can they get over that? How can they overcome that obstacle and bring people in with them to actually accomplish that journey? So, and again, it's, it's about bringing people along for the journey and, yes. and thinking about people first. Yes, and, and knowing that you have a purpose that's beyond just yourself. It's, it's almost for them was a legacy. It's not about just being remembered for their name, but for the work that they did around animal conservation, making this planet a better place. For me, I had this aha moment when I listened to Terry. And that aha moment for me was around, wow, I so admire her. And I thought, I do something really similar to Terry. But it's not about animal conservation. It's actually about human conservation. Because at no time in history is our brains under so much pressure to perform. We're living on this diet of immediacy. We're, we're overwhelmed with task lists. We are fatigued and we're constantly on the go and we're trying to fit so many things in to a short period of time that people's brains are frazzled. And this is leading to people not feeling well. This is leading to people getting chronic illnesses and it's affecting families, communities and the government. Yeah, it's not sustainable. And then you add in things like all the distractions like um, social media, for example, and the amount of media that we consume or could consume in a, in a given day and our, our brains are naturally just overloaded, right? We're overloaded and we're trying to do more with less and this is this constant battle I think that we're facing from a human society perspective, and we there is a better way to do this. And we know a lot from a science. We've learned more about the brain in the last 10 to 15 years than what we had 400 years beforehand. And so it's about educating people around their brain, the biggest asset you own, and how you can tap into that to be able to be more balanced. Because it's when you're out of balance for too long periods of time is when we start to get ill and we start not to perform at our best. So, Vanessa, I'm just curious, what are you advocating? Because there's a thousand tips and guidelines <laughs> and you get to go to LinkedIn and say, you know, how do I stop being stressed or how do I be more organized? There's a thousand articles. You know, are you saying ignore your email for the first two hours when you arrive at work, you know, take time out at lunchtime and go to the gym or have a coffee and, and – um, uh, de-digitize, I think is the term, you know, remove yourself from all your electronic devices. You know, when you get home, make sure that you're present with your family. Are you saying all of that or, or is it there is, a, and, a and it comes way? in all different shapes and forms because no two brains are the same. So some of the key tips that I would recommend is understand when do you do your best thinking in a day or, or within a week. So if you look at where you do your deep thinking, and what I'm talking about is when you're in that constant flow, you've got the right amount of energy, you've got ideas coming and you feel like you're at your peak performance. Think about when in a day that you do that. Now, from research perspective, research is showing that 70% of people have a morning brain, 20% have an afternoon brain and 10% have an evening brain. Now, what that means is, and sometimes people have a combination of those because it's sort of like light sleep and deep sleep, which is your theta and your delta waves. We have what's called um, alpha and beta waves throughout the day. And now your beta waves is this busy, busy beta brain where you're back-to-back -back meetings, constantly looking at information, people wanting things from you immediately. 
This is what we call the beta brain. This is when you're busy, 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 and your brain is quite tense. It doesn't have time to calm down and be relaxed. We need to be more throughout the day have these what's called alpha waves, which is this more relaxed brain throughout the day so that our brain can connect from your conscious, which is your prefrontal cortex, the cortex of the brain, frontal cortex, your subconscious, which is at the back of the brain, which is your powerhouse, and also your limbic system, which is in the middle of the brain, which is your emotional center, so that you can actually have ideas and they can actually connect when you're in a more relaxed state. So when I talk about peak performance or looking at when you do your best thinking, you want to be able to protect that time so that you're not distracted, so that you can do your best thinking. Because there are two core ingredients when it comes to artificial intelligence on the on the rise that humans really need to protect. One is your emotional intelligence, how we have empathy for one another, because AI is going to struggle with that. And secondly, is your ability to protect your deep thinking where innovation, creativity and empowerment comes from. Okay, so I'm fascinated about this 70-20-10 ratio. yes. And I'm thinking that I'm probably in the 70% ratio of people who do their best thinking in the mornings. Yes. Um, A couple of questions. So first of all, how do I know that for sure? How do I know when, when I think optimally? Is it the morning or the afternoon or evening? And then secondly, if you think about most people, they're going to need to switch their brains on when they first arrive at work because you arrive and you've got all these tasks to do and all this email and all this sort of stuff. So how, if you are an afternoon or evening person, how do you switch on in the morning? It really depends on the person. And again, no two brains are the same. But if we look at what are some of the key learnings is that you will know what sort of person because you'll have peaks and flows to where your ideas come from. So knowing where you have these ideas are what I call aha moments. What are you actually doing when you're having an aha moment? So let me ask you, so when you have your best ideas or when you have these aha moments, these sudden understanding of complex information, you have a solution, where are you? Oh, two things for me, exercising and in water. Yes, okay. So, so for me, I'm a water person. I love being in the beach, love being in the water. Uh, I tend to think most clearly and be, be I think, by, um, in my most calm state uh, when I'm in water. And then when I'm exercising, I know that um, I'll quite often have aha moments um, related to work, home life, you know, friendships, all sorts of stuff. So for me, those are two triggers. And when we look at, so if we looked at the top 500 organizations in the world, one of the things that they realized through research is that they were having this problem where they had talented people and they are hiring the best of the best, but they couldn't understand why they've been having a dip in innovation and creativity. And so what they actually realized was they started to look at where people were having the most insight, where were they having these aha moments. And like you said, for you is actually exercise because you're actually getting oxygen into your brain. So oxygen is very, very key to building resilience. Okay, It's very key for how to manage the threat and the reward state within the brain. So there are two core ingredients that we need to fuel your thinking, the executive function, your prefrontal cortex of your brain, it's oxygen, and the second one is glucose, 
which is why sometimes throughout our day we have these dips. So you ask me the question, like if I'm a morning brain and then I have these dips in the afternoon, what can you do? It's really about how do you increase your oxygen level? And so sometimes it's this short sprint, get a lot more oxygen to your brain. You will know when your brain's starting to tire because you have a lack of focus and you may be yawning, which people think it's just a sign of tiredness, but it can also be that the brain is asking you, please give me more oxygen to fuel up my brain. So one of the things that people don't understand about their brain, it's not like an ever-ready battery that is can constantly go 24 hours a day. It just cannot. So we need to constantly look at how do we structure our day and our week? How can we increase oxygen into our brain on a more regular basis, not just when we get tired? Hopefully you can catch it before you start to tire because then it will take longer to actually top it up. And if you think of your brain like a battery or like a mobile phone, if you're constantly having lots of things open at any one time, if you've got lots of drawers open in your brain, then it's going to take a lot more energy. And the brain is all about energy. It's a hungry resource energy that every time you learn something new, it takes from that energy resource. Excellent. So, look, for me it works um, uh, to go for a walk, for example, Walking is great. Uh, you know, that sparks my energy. I get some fresh air and I feel better when I come back to the office. But so walking meetings. Meeting, so walking meetings are awesome. Walking meetings are great. But if you're sitting in a meeting, you can't escape. It could be as simple as a few deep breaths is what you're saying. Deep get- breaths. So if you're in between meetings, there's a couple of things that I recommend to busy executives. And – and for anyone really who's busy on a day-to-day basis, is that in between meetings or in between projects, take one between one and ten minutes to breathe and to increase your oxygen. And there's a few things that you can do. So you can either shorten your meetings. So instead of having an hour meeting or half an hour meetings, try to make them 25-minute meetings or 50-minute meetings. So that you have 10 minutes to breathe and think about and digest and let go of that last meeting so you can walk into the next meeting to be more fresh and knowing, having time to be able to go, what do I want to achieve out of this next meeting? As opposed to taking, sometimes we take what's called emotional contagion from one meeting to another meeting. And so if you're flustered in one meeting and then you walk into another meeting, then there's a potential that you're going to wipe out your people's productivity because your brain just hasn't had a chance to be able to rest and recoup in between going back to back. Let's talk about change. Yes. Everyone's talking about change and perhaps we work and live at a time when there's never been more change or that change has never been more rapid. So the brain with dealing with change, so even though we have this ability through neuroplasticity that I was talking about before, which is the brain's ability to rewire and change the neuropathways within the brain, we need to be able to have the motivation and the desire to want to change. But there's a part of the brain that also makes change um, challenging. And that happens actually within the limbic system of the brain. So if you think of the brain stem, And then in the centre of the brain is what's called the limbic system, which is your emotional centre because we are actually emotional beings that think, not thinking beings that have emotions. 
And within this limbic system, again, is called the basal ganglia. And the basal ganglia is the habit center. And so remember, we were just talking about how our brain is like this hungry resource. And it takes a lot of energy to actually for, for us to be able to do everything we do in a day or in a week. So it's this resource center that likes habits and it likes what almost is like shortcuts. For example, we do a lot of things subconsciously because we don't have to think about it because these are in our habit center. It is almost like another habit, for example, brushing our teeth. So for those who are listening today who have children and trying to teach them how to brush their teeth, it can be really painful, especially when you want five-star dentist cleaning, right? is that when you think about how, how long it takes, like for example, I have a 14-year-old boy who I'm still asking, asking him every night, so did you do five-star cleaning tonight? And it's sort of like, yes, mum. Okay, so when you go to the dentist next, what is the dentist, what do you want the dentist to say to you next time <laughs> you go to the dentist? It takes time to build that habit. So we can do that because that is now a hardwired behavior about brushing your teeth. So you can hardwire your brain to be able to do things so that it's not cognitively taxing on your brain. And this is the habit center. This is this basal ganglia within the brain. But it likes predictability. It likes to know what's happening next. And so our brain to to a certain degree loves certainty. It loves to know what's happening. And this is because we're the only species on the planet that can time travel. So we can go back into our memory, our long-term memory, and, and recall memories. We can also do what? Uh, have some foresight, have some vision, and predict what might happen in the future. Yes. So if I do this, this might happen. If I don't do this, this might happen. Yes. So our brain is constantly weighing up the two sources between what's happened in the past, what did I learn? And unfortunately, we have, as a society – is that we label memories as good and bad. So executives who are brainstorming with their people and coming up with, with solutions to business problems, and they often face situations where someone will come up with a really great idea and another person will come around and say, oh, great idea, Grant, but I've tried that. That actually doesn't work. But we don't take the time and as an individual before we even say those words, oh, I've tried that, it doesn't work. We don't analyze to go, well, what specifically didn't work at that point in time? And if you were to make it work in the now, what could that look like? What would you actually have learned to actually set that up for success? Excellent. So, okay, tell me about artificial intelligence. So. Yes. Artificial intelligence is something that we're learning more and more about, has applications for business and, you know, in our personal lives and we're probably using more artificial intelligence tools than we realize we are. But how does that work in harmony with a human brain? How do we, you know, is AI a human competitor, for example? And in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, and it depends on how you look at it. I think artificial intelligence is exciting in one way, because it's going to take over a lot of the doing stuff. But what's happening is because we're constantly what's called, you know, the bright, shiny object where our attention is being divided by doing so many things, is that if we don't protect our deep thinking that I was talking about before, which is where we do our best thinking, where we come up with 
creativity ideas, then if we don't have time to relax and connect the different parts of the brain together so we can have that empowerment, those ideas, innovation, creativity, then then we're not going to be able to give artificial intelligence the direction it needs to be able to do the doing Sure. and so that we can do our best work with coming up with ideas and fostering that and also – Intuition is something that I often get asked by executives because we need to trust our intuition more. So what has happened over time is we've gone very left side of the brain orientated. What do I mean by that? We've been very analytical. We're more logic focused. We're more data analyzing um, complex data um, to be able to make decisions. But we have sort of left our right side of the brain a little bit exposed And part of that is intuition, and intuition is what's called gut feel. And again, this happens within the limbic uh, system, which is our emotional center. This is where no language actually occurs. So that means that we get this gut feeling, and we sometimes actually don't know why we have a gut feeling. So for example, I have executives that say, I've got this data, and it's telling me to make this decision. But my gut feeling is actually telling me that we need to go in this direction. And this is based on what I was telling you, time traveling, based on experience, based on what you know what works and doesn't work, based on where you actually want to take the company or the organization and its people. And we sometimes don't have language. And because we're busy trying to make all these decisions so fast all the time, we need to actually slow down so that we can connect, relax, and connect your prefrontal cortex, your limbic system, um, and your subconscious so that we can actually be able to pull and have these insight moments, these aha moments. And we were talking about these aha moments before, and for you was swimming and exercise. But we have found in our experience with working with so many executives that aha moments, the people where they have the top five where people are having the most insights is one in the shower, Two, um, toilet, especially men tend to always rate toilet as their number two. Um, Three is exercise. Four is traveling. So whether you're driving to work or in the car. And five is sleep. So this could be before sleep, during sleep, or after sleep. This is when the brain, remember I was talking about these beta and alpha waves that we have, we go in and out of light and deep productivity throughout the day. This is when we need to be more, make sure that we're purposeful around having more downtime because it's when we have downtime our brain can connect and actually analyse the information and we can start to understand why is our gut feeling telling us to go in this direction so that we can then communicate to people what our why is and why we're having this gut reaction when data on our left side of the brain is telling us to do this. So this will be the challenge as executives, as leaders, as business people in the future to to still, you know, rely or trust on our our instincts yes. and our gut feeling and our intuition. And we have to bring uh, that back. But also, but also, you know, data and analytics offers us insights um, that can that can make decisions as well. So it's balancing those two, right? It's the harmony. 
So we, so this is where artificial intelligence, I think, is coming in to help us do a lot of the doing. But we need to make sure that our brains are able to do the deep thinking, that we can still come up, that we're exercising that muscle within the brain to keep coming up with innovation and exploring ideas and having conversations that connects people from a collaboration perspective, which is the collection of intelligence. Collaboration is all about how do you take the smarts of all your people and bring that together so it's meaningful that we can actually solve some of the most challenging and complicated problems that businesses are facing today. Okay, Vanessa, we've had some excellent insights today. I've learned a tremendous amount. I'm sure our listeners have as well. What are a couple of key takeaways that you want to leave us with? First thing is understanding where do you do your best thinking? Where do you come up with your best ideas? And how can you foster that for you and for your people? So, for example, we've talked about today about getting out, going for walking meetings or increasing in between meetings, having these brain breaks where you can just get oxygen into your brain as quick as possible. Also, where you can get exercise in throughout your day or week is just so important because you're going to get dopamine hit within the brain. And exercise can come in all shapes and forms. And another type of exercise is also meditation or being mindful. It is so important to help reset the brain. And scientists are having amazing results from actually tracking mindfulness and meditation. And some of those is that it shows that people have less anxiety. It sharpens the memory. People have more energy. Remember, we need our brains need to recharge throughout a day. We have longer attention span and we have high tolerance to pain. And when I talk about pain, I'm not just talking about physical pain, I'm talking about social pain. So we need to be able to increase your oxygen. So my number one takeaway is look at how you can increase oxygen. How can you be more brain-friendly for yourself and others? And where can you protect your deep thinking within a day or a week? Excellent. Well said. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is just the start. We're going to do more of these, and I'd love to learn more about developing a growth mindset as it relates to neuroscience of leadership. So thank you, Vanessa. Enjoy your day. Thank you.